this morning's reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And the title of the reading is Jesus Taken Up Into Heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, whilst he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. I guess that for most of us, prayer is an important part of our Christian life. And uh, I guess that for many of us, prayer is the thing we start the day with. Or you might be like me and need a cup of coffee or a cup of tea to really kick-start the day. But at some point, uh, you might have a prayer, and then you might dash off to work. Uh, it certainly used to be, that used to be my routine when I, <laughs> when I had a proper job. <laughs> um, Sometimes, if you're retired, or like me, you don't have a proper job now, you have a bit more time in the morning. And sometimes you can have a bit longer over prayer, and you can perhaps open your Bible and read as well. And it's great to do that. But you've probably been aware in the last few months that for some people, prayer in this country has got them into trouble. You might remember the the case of a a nurse in North Somerset called Caroline Petrie, who uh, offered to pray for a patient... Uh, she was a nurse, she, she dressed this the lady's wounds, uh, and, uh, and then she said, would you like me to pray for you? And the woman said, uh, no, uh, that's okay, thank you. And so she didn't pray, uh, and Caroline left the room. But the uh, lady uh, mentioned it to somebody else, who mentioned it to the manager. And before long, this Christian was suspended by the health authority for offering to pray with a patient. Similar case not long after that of a school receptionist called Jenny Kane. And Jenny's daughter went to a school. She was five and she'd be talking, talking to another schoolmate uh, about God. And, and kind of that's what children do. They might be in a church on a Sunday and they share stories. And they, this, this lady's daughter was talking to another girl at school. And the teacher overheard that. And the teacher said, well, I don't need to do that, so stop that. And of course the child mentioned it to her mother when she went home. And the mother, who was the receptionist at the school, put an email round to some people at church to say, could you pray for my daughter? An absolutely normal thing to do as a Christian, isn't it? To ask people to pray for you. And apparently, a copy of the email got into the hands of the headmaster at the school, so he asked to see the receptionist, and she too was suspended for a while. It seems that Christians are increasingly susceptible to criticism 
and persecution for daring to exercise their faith in public. The Archbishop of York has spoken out about this and he said these words, there is a seeming intolerance and illiberality about faith in God which is being reflected in the higher echelons of our public services. And it seems there's pressure on us these days to keep God out of the public square. To make our faith private and personal. So it's okay to pray and read our Bibles and talk about God in our homes. It's okay to do that in church. But it's not okay to do it anywhere else. And there's this drive for political correctness. And so people would want to make Christianity just one lifestyle choice amongst many others. I'm just looking for the clock. (laughs) And it seems that there is a rise of these people we call militant atheists, who not only say that that, um, that Christianity shouldn't be talked about in the public square, but would want to have Christianity removed... In fact, all religions removed from every sphere of public life, particularly from our schools. And I think, as Christians, we have to take some responsibility for this. Because I think as we've backed off in declaring our faith, we've allowed others to move in. At college recently, we've been looking at, uh, at how Christianity responded to the theory of evolution. And to the rise of science. And generally the church backed away. The church backed away. Rather than seeing science as exploring the wonders of what God has made. The church has felt threatened by science. And has moved away. Someone said we've, we've backed into our, our houses. We've pulled up the drawbridge. And we're okay on our own. Thank you very much. I remember when I grew up uh, a long time ago now, it seems, uh, in a Baptist church in North London. And I was told very firmly there that once I became a Christian, I had a responsibility to share my faith in one-to-one evangelism. It was important that people became Christians, and, and that was the way to change the world. And I still absolutely believe that. The way to change the world is to change the hearts of people. They need to come to know the living Lord Jesus as their own saviour. But I also grew up with a view that Christianity was spiritual, it was private and it was personal. It was okay for me to share it one-to-one with someone, but I didn't talk much about it outside. And I think at the start of the 21st century, we need to rediscover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I grew up with a song, I'm not very good at singing, but let's see if we can do it together. Remember that song that went, uh, Jesus Bids Us Shine? Do you know it? Do you remember? It's it's an old one, isn't it? Do you want to join with me as we have a go? You might want to turn the mic down now. (laughs) Okay. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light. Like a little candle burning in the night 
He looks down from out mess to see us shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. Fantastic, it's brilliant, thank you. Thank you. Remember that, it's an old one, isn't it? And it's wrong. Well, at least it's half wrong. See, we get seduced by the first part, which I think is right. Jesus bids us shine. He does bid us shine. He wants us to shine for him wherever he's placed us. And we end up singing a line that says, You in your small corner and me in mine. Oh, the world's a big, bad, dark, difficult place. And we venture out at our risk. And therefore we don't share our faith. And our faith is private and personal. And I think the devil rubs his hands at that. And I think as we read Acts chapter 1, we start to get a vision, a picture of how the church responded when the Spirit came to the love of God. How Peter shared at Pentecost that Jesus was the Messiah, that he came to love people and to draw them back into a relationship with God. And I think God commands us to turn the spotlight of our Christian faith upon the world and to share with them the love and the power and the passion and the joy of knowing God, of knowing Jesus as our Saviour. And not to hide in our small corner, afraid of the world. And that's why the Spirit came. That's why the Spirit came. We need to rediscover, I think, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus today. Uh, This has been on my heart for a number of months, actually, as a theme that God's been putting there. And we've asked ourselves, as a church at Weir, this question. What does it mean to be God's people in Weir in the 21st century? And we asked ourselves that question a number of months ago. And after a while, I realised that we didn't actually really understand the question. What does it mean to be church? Well, this is church, isn't it? Church is where you come to at 10.30 on a Sunday morning and where you praise and worship. This is church. And so people said that to us. And we began to realise as a leadership team that actually we didn't really understand the question. So we rephrased it a little bit and said, what does it mean not to be church but to be disciples of Jesus? And then we went one stage further and said, what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus in Weir, in the Rosendale Valley, here and now in the 21st century? And we've just got to a point, I think, where we now are ready to start answering that question. I think we now kind of understand, I think, what the question is. And the question of discipleship is so fundamentally important to us today. Because it isn't a question of being a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of nobody. Discipleship means who will you follow in life. And you may not follow Jesus, but as sure as eggs are eggs, you will follow somebody or something. Whether it's work that comes first, or a relationship, or maybe something that's new age, or or consumerism. Or, or whatever it might be, you will put something first in your life that will drive you. You will follow something or someone. 
You know, these disciples are fantastic disciples. If you read on through the story of Acts, it's just wonderful how, how the disciples get out and share their faith. And you read in the, in the letters that Paul and Peter and John wrote, some of the results of that, how churches were formed. And they went through difficult times and problems, but, but the faith was shared. And we read in Philippians chapter 2 these words, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We declare that Jesus is Lord. And I love that passage from Philippians because Paul is saying to these disciples in this Roman colony, colony of Philippi, Jesus is Lord. Declare that Jesus is Lord. But they lived in this Roman colony where Caesar was Lord. You see, they weren't just declaring that Jesus was Lord. They were saying, well, because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And that was a very risky thing to declare. Paul was one of those who took his faith into the marketplace and into the places of debate where the public met. To declare that Jesus is Lord. These Christians nailed their colours to the mast. And we follow in a long line of witnesses of people who have declared that Jesus is Lord. We heard about Bonhoeffer. I was going to mention him this morning. Bonhoeffer, a tremendous disciple of Jesus who, who spent time in prison, persecuted by the Nazis and was eventually murdered by them for declaring his faith and putting his faith into action. We follow in the footsteps of people like Wilberforce, who gave many years of his life and much of his health to see the slave trade abolished. We know of Martin Luther King, who gave his life for civil rights. People who stood up for their faith, put it into practice. And there are many others. Recently in Weir, we've, um, you might know that John Hargreaves, our church secretary, and his wife Judith have gone to look after a retreat house in Bakewell in Derbyshire. So John has left us, and that's a great loss for us, and, and uh, we're praying that someone will come and fill their shoes. But as John left, he handed over lots of things, because he was church secretary. And a couple of things he handed over were actually two big boxes of old books. And these were the old... Church minutes, don't you love to read old church minutes? But these went back to the start of the church, right to the start of the church in 1860s. The church started in 1861. And there's a minute book from 1862 that records the start of the church. And it's handwritten and it's fantastic and you can just about read it. And it's just wonderful to read it. And as we look through the church minutes, as we look through the books that were there, the Sunday school notes and the ladies meeting notes, Look to what they did. One thing stands out. Well, two things stand out, actually. God is faithful. God has been faithful to us at Weir over the past 150 years. God has been faithful. And we need to remind ourselves of that, because a God who has been faithful will be faithful in the future. But the other thing that features there is prayer. Back to what I mentioned at the start. There have been people consistently praying for the church. And you know, it's often been the older people that have been praying. The older folks who think they can do nothing else but pray 
And that might be true, but prayer is so important. Let me encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're someone who perhaps feels you can't do much, but pray, you're an older person, prayer is something you can offer to this church. You can pray for this church, you can pray for the leaders, for the young people, for the new minister, Richard, when he comes. You can pray. pray is, praying is so, so important. Being disciples of Jesus, we engage in prayer. So the challenge is how we live as 21st century disciples. There are three things I want to mention very, very briefly. These aren't things like Bible reading and prayer and that. I'll take those for granted that that's what you're going to do. These are more characteristics that we perhaps should display as disciples, should aim for. We need to live purposefully. We need to live purposefully. God says through Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We live deliberately as God's people. We live purposefully as God's people. 24-7 disciples, 24-7 disciples. You've got some 24-7 supermarkets near, haven't we? There's a couple in Rawton store, one in Haslingdon, there's 24-7 supermarkets. We need to live as disciples 24-7. Why do I say that? Well, because coming in here is great, and praising God is great, and something we need to do, but it's not where we spend most of our time. Do some sums with me. How many hours in the week? 168 hours in the week. How many hours do we sleep approximately in the week? Some may say not enough. But how many hours do we sleep? Let's say seven hours, eight hours a night. Say 50 hours, 50 hours a week. So take that from what 160, 160, uh, 168. Did I say? Call it. Let's call it 100 and uh, 120 for round numbers. Okay, 120 for round numbers. Okay. How many hours do you spend here? I know. Again, some of you might say too long. (laughs) How many hours do you spend here? Let's say perhaps in prayer meetings or a home group. Or doing something for the church. I don't know. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours tops in the week. 120 hours when we're not asleep. Ten hours when we're doing something else for God. That leaves 110 hours when we're not asleep and not doing something for God. So when God calls us to be disciples of His, it's those 110 hours that we need to be focused on, I believe. Because that's where out with our families, at work, in our schools, in our colleges, where we're shopping, is where we need to be disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. Purposefully fulfilling our calling in those 110 hours. Yes, here as well. But also in those 110 hours, wherever God has placed us. Calling, you know, calling. We, we often think of calling a minister, of a minister being called, don't we? And I guess that's true. But God has gifted us, given us skills and abilities and passions on our hearts. And those gifts and skills and passions are to be used for him. That's his calling on your life. Calling is not just for those in full-time Christian work. In fact, we're all in full-time Christian work. Whatever skills and passions and gifts God has put on your heart, 
That's the calling he's placed on your life. You, you can decide where you exercise that calling, but it's a calling God has placed on your life. Use it for him. Live purposefully for him. Live joyfully. There's nothing so attractive as joyful people, is there? And there's nothing so unattractive as unjoyful people. You know them. Was it Sergeant Fraser from uh, Dad's Army? We're all doomed. There's nothing so attractive as unjoyful people. It's not, sorry, as, tra- as joyful people. Live joyfully for him. Monday morning is the difficult time to be joyful, isn't it? Let's think about what happens on Monday morning. Okay? People go to work. God sees the hearts of men and women. Most of them have rejected church because they're not interested in that. Uh, they don't think church is going to satisfy their needs. And the church gets a bad press and attracts a bad press as well. But they're spiritually hungry. Their lives are needy and inwardly they, they want something to satisfy them. But they don't know where to turn. Their heart cry might go out to God. But they're not going to go to church for help. But on Monday morning, the church scatters all over the community. And lo and behold, there, close to someone in need, is someone who loves God. Someone who would say they were a Christian. God loves people and he loves to bring the person in need alongside the person with the answer. And that's you and me. For God and his kingdom, Monday morning provides a huge opportunity. Just imagine how Christians might view Monday morning. And I can speak from experience here. Oh no, it's Monday morning again. A whole week of work. Same people, same jobs, same routine. Our Sunday service was fantastic. I can't wait for next week. And thank goodness it's home group on Wednesday. Oh, I wish I was in full-time Christian work. I could do so much for God. Ever heard that? Ever said that? But every believer is a full-time Christian worker. Live joyfully. Live purposefully. And finally, live confidently. Do you know the most oft-repeated command in the Bible? Do you know what it is? If you know, shout it out. Most oft-repeated command in the Bible, throughout all the Bible. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Someone said that there are 366 times when it says, do not be afraid. One for every day of the year, including a leap year. To live confidently. David said these words in Psalm 27. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Confident in a God who is faithful. Wait for the Lord, he says later on in the same Psalm. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Live confidently. 
Well, I haven't really mentioned our passage so far, have I? I'm just going to do this in closing. Because worship is fantastic. I mean, it's lovely to, uh, to be part of your, your worship this morning and to hear people play guitars and play keyboards and sing and drums. It's a delight to join in singing and praising and worshiping God. And it's, it's so good to do that. It's so good to, to feel good about ourselves during worship and to feel good about God. And I imagine these disciples probably did the same. They might have been worried about persecution from outside, but when they were locked together for those 40 days and Jesus was teaching them, they probably had great times of worship and praise and celebration. But worship leads to witness. Worship leads to work. Worship leads out of here into the world to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, come, come together as my disciples. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Come together. Come and praise, come and worship. Come and receive my Holy Spirit. And we know how the disciples waited. And the Holy Spirit came on those disciples, those first disciples. And we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably, you could equally call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or the acts of God's disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit is here today to give us that power. To live purposefully, joyfully and confidently as disciples for him. Come. Come and praise. Come and worship. Come and be filled with the Spirit. And then go and be my witnesses wherever God has placed us, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, through the whole week, to go and be his disciples where he's placed us. May God let those words dwell in our hearts. May he empower us through his spirit to live for him this week. Amen.